And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar to us place of scripture that contains the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. <coughs> the sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. We know that this promised commandment, which is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person that is sent by God over themselves have no part in the inheritance of this commandment and most likely it's a question whether they will be able to have it. Relevant, relevant to fulfilling this required command, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goal is that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. Of course, if it is there, and in part we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, in the format of the law of the spirit of life, where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men who are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which he sends us his words by the mouth of his delegated ones. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. The faith of God is information that comes from hearing the word of God. Our faith is obedience to this information. The direct obedience of the words we hear, it does not come from what we read, but what we hear. And not from every person can this faith come. One person will speak these words and another. One will inspire the seed, the other will not. Because if a person is not called to be a sower, he can preach as much as he'd like and he, would, he can uh, achieve different levels all the way up to a doctorate uh, degree, if any, then his words will still not uh, affect a person like the words of one that speaks the living word, one who is given this authority. Not every person possesses the right to be a speaker of the truth of the word from the stage. You, of course, can say, state it for yourself, uh, 
proclaim it for yourself. Being a light, if the Lord sends someone to you, then you will be able to tell a person as a testimony in what way you have come to the state situation you're in now. But a person not having a personal testimony, but just having a uh, large sum of knowledge in his mind, he does not have a testimony. He has not experienced what he's telling others. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of man evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is the treasury of our hope in God, containing the bond of all of the promises of God. The achievement of these is the goal of the given to us righteousness. It is only by the means of righteousness are we able to enter into the inheritance of all of our prom- all of the promises of God. It is righteousness by the means of the peace of God, this righteousness of the heart by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, 7. The righteousness of the heart, no one can question it. The devil can say whatever he wants, people can say whatever they want, but they cannot question that righteousness. You can question a a righteousness that is based upon empty knowledge and not having experience backing it. This one can be questioned and a person can stumble. But when a person is born and is justified, he has received justification as a gift of grace, as a guarantee and has invested it, turned it to profit himself in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and received it as his own then this righteousness is not able to be questioned even if uh, tens uh, will come against him, but he will be uh, victorious because, and we need to keep that in mind. The peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. That is righteousness Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When we think about the things of on high, these are the this is righteousness. We already perform righteousness when we meditate about the things of heaven. Because carnal, uh, because to be carnally, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 6 through 8. You can uh, present this place of scripture uh, to those so-called generals of God that are emissaries of mammon and preach in, in God materialistic prosperity. We need to show them that materialistic prosperity. Ask them the question, is this a perishable thing or imperishable? And of course it's perishable because it is physical. And if you will meditate about it and use God's faith, which is called to take God's promises and enter into the inheritance of those promises, but we will take God's promises and apply them to perishable wealth. There's no such a promise about materialistic wealth. 
there is none because these promises are a spiritual seed and it's given for spiritual things. God says, do not uh, worry about these things that are physical. I will take care of that, but you take care of and think about the things of heaven. According to this given place, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no part to the peace of God, and will not be able to have it if they have received an unfaithful position. And consequently, such people have no part also to the sons of peace. They cannot be sons of peace, who by the means of the peace of God, peace of God would be able to enter and inherit eternal salvation. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind, that is, within Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Our renewed mind works together with our pure mouth, with our spirit, with our heart. In our heart we have righteousness and we proclaim this righteousness because it is there. When we confess what is there, then it works and it leads us into the inheritance. Relevant to this, we stop to look at the fourth question, by what signs do we examine ourselves? That we are the sons of peace and therefore are the sons of God. Because it is only by the rule of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God not just are called the sons of God, but are the sons of God. You can call yourself so, but not be a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. And so a peacemaker is a person that has peace within his heart. He can't perform peace not having it in himself. Only when a person possesses peace within his heart, and this peace is something he receives by the means of a covenant, he enters into a covenant of peace with God, and this peace identifies the role of God and the role of man, and we know about this. And so if a person has not died for his nation, the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee this justification will never turn into the quality and format of righteousness where he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of the peace of God in order to bear within his righteousness the fruits of peace. So that the peace that he has made in the covenant, he can receive it as his own when he fulfills his part of the covenant, which is why the crown of righteousness of such people will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they would be able to be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 And so not receiving the crown is the blotting of the name out of the book of life. If he does not have righteousness, his name is blotted out of the book of life, and he is vomited out of the mouth of God. God says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtains its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side then is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the written word of the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, 
And we note that the only one that can do this is man. Then the other participant of this covenant being God then becomes free from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness is identified within our heart as the peace of God. This is fruit. This is evidence that we are the sons of peace, and this serves as a legitimate basis for God to fulfill His part of the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that we can share with Him the achievement of all that is written about Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. And so the goal of the Son of God is to come to the earth, and that's to redeem our body. If just to redeem the spirit, he would not have physically needed to come. He needed to redeem the body. He needed to receive the form of a body because we are a born spirit and he is a spirit, but we are in the flesh and he's not in the flesh. And so to redeem our body, he needed to come here physically, be born from a woman just as we were born, take on the same body as we have, and then take this body and take it and give it as a sacrifice upon the cross in order to redeem our body, purchase it from death. We need to understand that. What has happened? Why did the Son of God, why was He crucified here in the body? Because there are those people, there are theologians that state that God could not die and He uh, he did not die. He just uh, was shown an example and it, it was not actual. And so such theologians need to know that salvation that they have is just a look of salvation then and that they don't actually have it. As they were candidates of hell, they continue to be so. Justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into, into the quality and format of righteousness where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. We note that in the given situation, we're talking about a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness and be an expression and demonstration of holiness whose boundaries are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12.18. And so if possible, it says, means that it's not possible to have peace with all men, but only with the sons of peace. Just as it is not possible to show mercy to all men on earth, but only vessels of mercy. If you demonstrate your mercy toward those that are vessels of wrath, you will perish together with them. We need to understand that also. If we do good to vessels of wrath, you condemn yourself. You do not need to show mercy or do good to them. You need to separate and distance yourself from them and only uh, show your favor, your mercy toward those that are vessels of mercy. Therefore, the peace that we dare to or have the audacity to demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind 
out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be then incriminated to us as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we will then need to pay the price of, of losing eternal life. <clears throat> as God said, if you will help them, then your soul will be for their soul. He told the king, I condemned this nation, but if you show them mercy, I will take your nation for them. Do you want you and your house to perish? No. Then in this situation, avoid the person that is part of evil or corrupt company because our fellowship or communication with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company will perverse or corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. And so remove this phrase that God loves everyone and that you need to have peace with everybody. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness means do not sin. First Corinthians 15, 33-34. And so those preachers that have a tolerant mentality that God loves everyone and that you need to communicate with everyone, these are people that sin and they do not know God, they are within sin. And the scriptures say, distance yourself from them. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that support the wicked, who in their time had received the truth, but afterwards abandoned their church and turned away from the given to them holy commandments. The very fact of their rebellion and their hatred of the words given by the delegated people of God that are placed over them testify of the fact that they have lost the peace of God that was in their heart and membered them to the category of the wicked because they came to church not as students but as inspectors. They liked something and then suddenly they didn't like something. Remember when Christ said, if you will not eat the body of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will not have life in yourselves. And just this one phrase, and immediately many of His students couldn't couldn't listen to it and left Him. The twelve come and told Him, Lord, they they were troubled by what they heard. They also were confused on how you can eat His flesh and drink His blood to have life. But he does not explain that to them uh, how to do it. Instead, he says, do you not also want to leave? And Peter says, for all of them, where are we to go? You have the words of eternal life. And because this person has the words of eternal life, if you don't understand something, what does this mean? To leave? Of course not. Uh, why did Jesus allow such things to happen? And that is because these were his students and if they are students they had the golden uh, table of showbreads and their fresh breads were put for the Lord and the fresh breads the fresh cakes are those things you don't yet know if when you accept what you yet don't yet know and don't understand but you know these are the words of God but we don't understand it, it appears to our mind as if uh, not correct tell me when you speak in tongues, do you understand what you say? No. Then why are you speaking if you don't? Why are you not tempted at that? Here you didn't understand the pastor and that's it. They become angry. But you also don't understand when you speak in tongues. And so then you're a Pentecost. But in quotes then, uh, 
Why do you not stop speaking then in tongues if you don't understand that, but yet you rebel? But they say it's a mystery communicating with God. So then the bread that you don't understand, it is also a mystery, and it is God's food. And so Moses in his time had said these words when he gave his law. The law was given, and he turned to Israel and told them, what we understand in this law belongs to us and our children, but we don't understand belongs to the Lord our God. And so in the law also, people were taught, if you don't understand something, don't reject it. It is important to first understand who is the one telling you these things and what they're then saying also after that. But we only look at what is said and not looking at who is the one who's giving it. If you would not, if they looked at who was saying it, those others would not have left. Why did the 12 not leave? Because they were looking at who was saying it. It was the Son of God. We're in shock. We don't understand these words, but we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Pe- uh, Simon, uh, named Peter. Uh, it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but the, our Father who is in heaven. And he did not explain to them anything else, uh, how to eat his body and drink his blood. But the time did come before he was to be put to death. The last uh, Passover that he had with his disciples, he took the body, took the bread, broke it, and said, take, he blessed it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. And then he took the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. And again, he said, "Uh, drink it amongst yourselves. And then they suddenly understood. Each one probably said to himself, Lord, why didn't you explain it at the time? If you would have explained it at the time, we wouldn't have lost so many people, but we didn't lose anyone. We just uh, separated from those that are not the chosen, but just are the called. The called continuously are looking at, at the little things, always unhappy with something, criticizing something, rebellious always stumbling upon something, always uh, offering something different from, them, from themselves. How, how many people had come to me uh, in music and genre, or they come to us and say, gather all your businessmen and teach us how to uh, do business. And I, I told them, imagine, uh, if you come to Christ, Uh, you would come to Christ and ask him uh, teach me business Uh, Jesus would say well who sent me here to teach you this uh, business uh, or how to uh, do good business Uh, we need to teach people how to prepare themselves to rapture how to receive the promise that is given by God to destroy destroy the stronghold of death in the body and erect the stronghold of life. This is what we need to teach and nothing more because all of this is passing away but this is eternal. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. 
there's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. And so when they rebel, this is the category of the wicked. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. Holy means selective. And if it is selective, it is holy, it cannot be tolerant. A holy, that means he selects, he chooses one that separates the one from the other, holy from unholy, pure from impure. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's talking about God's love, agape. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We've noted that according to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God, the holy love of God, will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children and exclusively with His children. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unchanging virtues or elements by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. And these have been the subject of our study, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. This is the ladder of Peter, upon which the angels uh, ascend and descend in order to bring revelations into our heart by the Holy Spirit. We can hear the voice of God within our spirit because of this ladder. If our character is not in accordance to these qualities, then the Holy Spirit is not able to uh, rise and descend upon this ladder because some have a very different uh, ladder. The flesh does not have this ladder. The flesh uh, takes everything for itself. The relationship with uh, with uh, the saints, they build a relationship for their own benefit and looking for ways to take something from them, doing some kind of good, but this good that they're doing is that this person wants to get something from this person or benefit from them somehow even inviting them to their house. They will do it, they'll make it that you will pay for the meal for theirs and your own. This is the kind of flesh that the virtue has, or the the, the kind of virtue, I'm sorry, that the flesh has, that uh, it is greedy. It, The true virtue is that you give and not expect anything in return. And so this surprising ladder and each one of these qualities of virtue contains the characteristic of the rest of them as they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. And so they are within a surprising balance. 
in 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 balance they are as one fruit that contain these seven components these qualities are the moral perfection within the heart of a man and an example inherent to the essence of God it is God that possesses these qualities the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ we cannot have them for ourselves and learn them we need to receive it in the form of a seed and discipline ourselves and water that seed the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich here's where the wealth is a changed character a renewed spirit in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life the means that we are to use to for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. By inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become parts of a part of God's nature, or God's divine nature. We become as God is. Since virtue in the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with, the nature of human love that is filled with egoism is greedy and is just temporary. That is, you are obligated or required. <laughs> love requires. It doesn't give. It requires. Re you are my mother. You're required. You, you're, covered, you're required to cover me. Even though it's a drug, I, uh, give me money. I know it's drugs, but you're required because you're my mother. You're required. <clears throat> they don't ask from the neighbor. They ask from their own mother, mother, father, and they use the love of the mother toward him for his own, uh, for his own benefits. Or his friend. You're my friend. Are you my friend or not? Filio, one of the forms of love. Uh, we need to understand that all of the forms of human love are egotistical. Specifically, the fruit of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities of virtue uh, listed previously, this fruit is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The element of virtue in the selective love of God has no comparison to the tolerant love of man, since the quality of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities. These qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love. Or more accurately, He is a holy love separated from all that men calls love. <coughs> And such an inaccessible for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over the rest of His perfections, identified as His goodness. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3:14. I had said this before in army. One officer had approached me in the army. He, he said, you talk about the love of God, but what is God's love? What is it? What is love? How does the Bible identify love? I said, it's not as the philosophers will tell you. The Bible identifies love this way. Love 
is the bond of all perfection. <clears throat> he literally jumped. He said, repeat it again. I said, love is the bond of perfection. <clears throat> well, he said, what a phrase. What a depth. It's the first time I hear this. I've never heard this kind of identification of love. But it, it, it is it's sensible to me. I agree with this. And I said, the heart of any person would agree to because our heart, our inner person, in nature, is Christian. It is eternal. This mind, and with this mind, I told him, uh, someone told you that uh, you need to be an atheist. Atheism is also a faith. This is not a philosophy and not a discipline of any kind. This is a version of someone, someone's belief. And I told him, can you prove that God does not exist? Because some people, some children, uh, grow up and say, well, I don't believe there's a God. Well, this is the foolishness of the mind. This is just a foolishness of the mind because when I speak with wise people, atheists, I told them, you are smart, you're intelligent, and you behave according to logic. How can you say there's not just because I don't see him? I told them, well, I don't see your mind. Does this mean that you're a fool, that you don't have a mind? I can't see physically your love. I can't weigh it. I can't feel it. You say, I love. But how do I know that you love? You're an atheist. Uh, allow me to feel it or weigh it or see what kind of color it is or what temperature it has and they immediately uh, began to question all of this one uh, individual uh, he had told me once you understand when I began to talk to you within a couple of minutes you've made me a fool a fool in my own eyes you didn't tell me I'm a fool. I became a fool for myself. I began to think, uh, and how can I believe in this foolishness? And I'm afraid of those thoughts. How do I believe then if I have to be atheist? He has the uh, calling of a, of a, of a general. And suddenly he says, he, he told his wife also these things, and he had no peace. And so six to eight hours, I would have to speak to uh, officers, and they would ask me questions. And the questions, of course, were never about the existence of God, because none of them attempted to ask. Because if I tell them that God exists, they'll they'll tell me or they'll ask prove it uh, logically so if I don't see him in our life there are more things we don't see and that have control of our life the moral law that's within us we don't see a conscience that we don't see and all of this identifies a person a person identified not by the skin he has but what's inside spiritual the, uh, the conscience.
the mind, your intellect, the things you don't see visibly. And so the scriptures say, and the foolish said in his heart, there's no God. You can't, with the mind, uh, reject God, but you can't also accept Him with the mind. You have the heart for that. It's unfortunate when the children of God, when they come to church and try to, with their mind, control the words of God and with their mind, understand them. And if that's not enough, they begin to complain, I have my own way of uh, understanding. Your mind is not created by God to understand the Word of God, to, to hear the Word of God. You, you have the heart for that. The love of God is the foundation and the atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. He loves with an unconditional love those whom he foreknew and then predestined so they be conformed to the image of his son. And to foreknow that's before the creation of the world, he already knew them. He knew that when this person hears the truth, he will not uh, stick his head into the sand as a as an ostrich does. He will open up his heart and say, thank you, Lord, that you have enlightened my, my heart, that you've I'll help me understand who you, who I am, why I'm here, what I need to do here, and what I need to look forward to. Thank you for this, and not hide my head in the sand to justify myself why I don't serve God, or why a person doesn't fulfill God's commandments, why a person continues to drink and justify that act. Don't drink much. Do not drink uh, much, is what they say. Where... How did you interpret that? The word is not don't drink much. It says do not satisfy, be satisfied with wine. Do not consume it. One of the meanings is don't drink much. But there's also other two other meanings. Do not drink it. Do not satisfy yourself with it. And so choose then if you think that you can drink not uh, by, by a small amounts or small portions, then reform your words. And then you pervert the truth. In Ephesians it says, and so then drink a little wine from which is dissipation. And so let us now look at, the, at this very phrase, do not drink much wine from which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so if you drink wine from which is dissipation, you can be filled with the Spirit. And so don't drink wine from which is dissipation. Dissipation is perversion in all aspects of life. Wine allows perversion in all aspects of life. A person says, well, I don't feel it. Well, how are you going to feel that? How are you going to feel it when it kills the cells of your intellect and your mind and the cells of your body you won't feel it immediately you can see this in a woman very clearly they don't have such resistance as a man does in general look at their faces and their hands the way 
they eternally have a, a sign on their skin, their hands, uh, that they were an alcoholic. Even after they become sober and become free of this, uh, there is a, a sign on the body that, that they've been so. Their eyes, the look of their face, and eyes become very, uh, as you know, uh, become very hazy, and the face becomes, uh, if you see drunkards, they look very foolish in the face. To be able to satisfy sin and your flesh, you look at places in the Bible trying to find ways to justify this act. And this is not just regarding alcohol, this is regarding everything, any kind of sin. A person is bent to justify any sin so he doesn't have to repent or leave it. And so the love of God does not just violate the sovereign rights of those people she selects but also never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated these boundaries identified as a burning holiness in a specific format these seven characteristics that together identify within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of a selective love we have already looked at six qualities therefore we'll immediately turn our attention to the seventh this is demonstrating the love of God agape and brotherly kindness in scripture the love of God agape as the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness is contrary to evil as so a brotherly kindness can come from a specific atmosphere it where it can exist where it can function and happen this love of God in brotherly kindness as any virus also needs a, a, an atmosphere a virus is also a living organism that has its own program and when it falls into the body of a person into a cell it has a program it cancels out the program that was in the cell and puts on, turns on its own uh, program. It's interesting that the men of study think that the virus uh, strikes people with a weak immune system, and this is for the most part elderly people and children, but it turns out that today uh, the coronavirus is... It, 90% of the people that are ill are not children and those that are elderly, but between 25 to 50 years old. They've come to that conclusion. It is a selective virus. It, it, try, it attacks what is strong, the one that has an immune system, the healthy uh, people. And they deceive uh, the people because they're afraid to show what it is. But this virus has been found in 30 countries of the world, not just China. And not a single one of these countries have a uh, anything to contra uh, contradict this virus. They don't have any kind of uh, cure for it that they've been able to find. And right now, where the city, where this virus has developed, uh, it's very strictly, everyone sits in their houses and everyone wears uh, masks on their faces. And every day, people are dying there from this virus. And there's more than 100,000 that are infected. And what is this? They don't know. They say, we don't know. 
another ca world council has already gathered together to talk about this. All have gathered there. What do we do? They're afraid to tell the people that if we'll progress in this way, then nothing will will not be able to do anything. We can't make uh, quarantine every single city of the world. Stop all the all the all the factories, the businesses. We don't know how long it will continue. What it is, but the scriptures say in the last days there will be these kinds of viruses, and every virus is. <clears throat> accompanied by a demon. This is a living organism. From the spiritual, it becomes physical. The word is also a virus. We speak words, and words have programs. This is the seed. And it is seeking and finds, and it increases. <clears throat> it's not important a person lives in one house. And so they say that within the span of an hour, if this house has one ill person, within an hour, the entire house will be ill, whether there's a hundred uh, levels or or smaller, because it's the same, because they have the same ventilation system, and this virus will spread, as in one of the ships, uh, the princess ship. There's about, there's hundreds of people that are infected, and they need to uh, quarantine them, and there's uh, thousands of people on the ship, and there's more and more becoming ill. <clears throat> the air that you share is the same air, and it's passed on because of this. Be calm, though. You are protected. Don't be afraid that one f of the one that's in the world. The one that's in you is stronger than the one in the world. These viruses are released not for you. They are released for those people that are with uh, God... Uh, godless, that who is God? And now you'll know who the devil is. And when you know who the devil is, then you'll run to God. Often people run to God after they have met with the devil. It turns out that he truly exists. And if he exists, it's a, I'm afraid. Then he runs in the opposite direction to God. Or he asks uh, the devil, what do I do? How do I make a deal with you so I can be in peace? And the devil tells him how he's going to uh, coexist with him. But he doesn't understand, this unfortunate person, that he's going to go to hell <coughs> if he does this. In Scripture, the love of God agape as the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, in the Holy Scripture, the degree of the power of the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness and reveals itself in brotherly kindness, is determined and exclusively known by the degree of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evil doers who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 Considering that evil demonstrating itself in man in hatred that comes from jealousy and arrogance of men and good that demonstrates itself in man in love that comes from brotherly kindness are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is, is only possible in its carriers, which are their programmable systems. As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. 
Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. Carriers. I want to know another thing about viruses. There are people that are carriers of viruses. A carrier of viruses, viruses does not become ill. They just pass it on to others. <clears throat> They're carriers of of a lot of diff different infectious diseases. They themselves are not ill, but the person that comes in contact with their body, uh, with their uh, breath, with other other things, becomes sick. Sometimes it's difficult to determine where it's coming from. Children become ill and they don't know who. One child becomes a carrier of tuberculosis. He's not ill, but it, he infects everyone else. Same thing here. The most terrible thing men of study say, we don't know how many thousands of people have received vir the virus and have become carriers of this virus. The virus chooses who the carrier will be and who will who the uh, <clears throat> who the prey will be of this of this virus and you can't determine the carriers you can't take his blood and by his blood determine him as carrier because he it, this virus is not demonstrating himself he's concealed and that's what's dangerous the scriptures say, distance yourself from any brother that behaves disorderly against the law Distance yourself from those who call themselves Christians, but themselves are not so. Why? Because they are carriers of these viruses. They have not become ill, but they are carriers of the viruses. And others are becoming sick and become and stumble. Relevant to this, as in the previous elements, the virtue of God in His unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in seven elements, we need to answer four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the genesis and natural essence of the fruits of virtue that reveals itself in the heart of man in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose does the fruit of virtue have demonstrated in our faith in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness what conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue and the love of God agape in your faith coming from brotherly kindness and by what signs do we examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness therefore in order to understand within ourselves the natural essence of the love of God that comes from brotherly kindness, it is necessary for us to remember what and who God loves and what and who God hates. Answering the first question, we came to the conclusion that lo the love of God has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans 5.5 5. It was poured out to us into our heart by the spoken word. The word is a program where the love of God is. It is poured out from the one that speaks, whose feet are beautiful upon the, on the hills. And he reveals this uh, God's love, and a person receives it. This is the spiritual immune system against any infection. Relevant to this, we already studied seven elements called to take part in the pour out of the love of God into our heart, studying who God loves 
and have now studied six elements of who God hates. Today we will study the seventh, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God, of what God hates. God hates a person who brings the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of God for any vowed offering. You shall not bring the wages of the harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord, your God, for any vowed offering, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 23:18. Here we see ourselves as the house of God, and in our essence we see this commandment and not something separate that in the house of, of God in Israel we are seeing this in ourselves and in the church in today's house of God. This commandment was literal in not bringing the wages of a harlot into the house of God attempting with his gifts to find God's favor. A priest was were not to accept the offering or the wages of a harlot when, when she would come. You'll say how did they determine a harlot? In the ancient world, a harlot was well uh, identified. They co- they carried a covering on their head. A regular woman did not cover their, her head at any time. They did not have the necessity to cover their heads. They had a hair for this. Men covered their heads, and only those men who were priests and only when they would enter into the temple. They needed to have upon their heads a covering for beauty and glory, but uh, women did not cover themselves. Sometimes they would cover themselves on one day for uh, uh, during the uh, marriage. They would cover the whole bride in, in a long veil, and when the groom uh, would uh, approach her, he would uncover this veil from her and see his bride. And also is something harlots, cover, they covered themselves. Remember Tamar, she had covered herself as a harlot and Judah uh, had had uh, seen her and made a deal with her. And so only a professional prostitute would co- have this covering on herself. And when she goes into the temple, she also could come, and as a professional prostitute, she needed to have upon herself this covering. And that's how the priest was able to determine she's a harlot, and uh, she, uh, of course, he would tell her, I can't accept this gift until you leave this sin. Here, I'm also talking about those people that who think that a uh, a, how, a wife that prays without uh, her head being covered uh, is sinning. Here, it's talking about spiritual covering. Paul says, I speak of spiritual things. May the spiritual one understand what is being written. He didn't literally mean covering your head with a veil or, or some kind of uh, a piece of material. Uh, only the the priests, the men, and there were priests that were in the temple were the only ones that covered their heads. The others had no right to cover their heads. If they would have come out of the temple and have brought these uh, uh, coverings with him, a priest, uh, he would have been uh, destroyed because this is accepting over yourself God's authority. The acknowledgement of the person who has God's power and his authority. There's always someone over us, and this was uh, symbolic in the time. And so you can't accept from this harlot wages uh, 
and you cannot bring into the house of God uh, silver that was received from selling a dog to fulfill your vows. There were uh, very good dogs uh, uh, that would uh, help work the flocks, and they had them and they sold them for a very high price, as today they do in history. You could see this, uh, and this uh, were very expensive, a very well uh, trained and uh, a good breed of dog. But you cannot bring in uh, the profits from the selling of a dog into the temple. And so the symbol of a harlot are people that are in the category of the woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Revelation 17.3.5 what in, in what form is this harlot today? In the church, in the heart that you can't uh, bring in the wages of this harlot thinking that they bring it they'll, and they'll receive salvation. At the same time, a symbol of a dog are people that are in the category of evil doers. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, 2, 3. Therefore, to bring into the house of God, which is our heart, <clears throat> let's talk about our heart right now, the offering of the wages of a harlot and the price of a dog is to legalize within your heart their form of life and show them tolerance. When you see... A thief, you then uh, be, uh, become in his likeness, or as a uh, as a harlot, and and become and are tolerant with them. You take on their form of life. You share with them, uh, and so if you don't separate yourself from them and you don't avoid them, you. And so to differentiate the form of the harlot and the form of the dog who impersonate themselves as the bride of the lamb, differentiate her from the true bride of the lamb, it is necessary for us to at least in short look at where does the harlot sit impersonating herself as the bride of the lamb and what kind of foundation does she have under her? And where does the bride of the lamb sit and what kind of foundation does she have under her? We need to understand this, what kind of church we go to. This will help us understand Maybe we go to a church that actually is a harlot that sits upon the many waters and upon the scarlet beast. We will start with the bride of the lamb. The foundation that the bride of the lamb has under her is the 12 foundations of the wall of the new Jerusalem. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb, but there shall by no means by no means enter into this holy city anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelations 21, 14, and 27. You can come into the church, you can sit in the church, but to enter into its spiritual essence won't be possible. <clears throat> the throne upon which the bride of the Lamb sits is the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 5-7. 
we see what kind of church or bride of the Lamb, uh, where her foundation is, what foundation she has, and what throne she sits upon. And now we will look at the foundation and throne of men that are in, that are in the category of the harlot and the dog. These are religious uh, congregations. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on my water, on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The wine of her fornication is the union of godly things with the things of man, interpretations of man. She gives this wine to drink. This, uh, and when people drink this wine, they perceive it as the truth, but it is actually not the truth. It is a, a mixture of the things of God with the things of men. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. He first sees her on Wendy Waters, and now he, see, he sees her upon the scarlet beast. He reveals the mystery, and the mystery is that she sits upon the scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations, all of these precious stones, these are precious stones of Scripture. She took all of the promises of God and, as, and as ascribe them to her, ascribing them to herself. She has, <clears throat> and the cup is that she was mixing the truth of the Word of God with her own personal ideas, interpretations. And so she was holding a golden cup. This was truly the Word of God. She was reading the Word of God, but interpreted it as she thought. <clears throat> and it was full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth the, and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings and have, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. There will, they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and whose 
and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw were the where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put into their heart to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17 1 through 18 if the foundation of the bride of the lamb are the 12 precious foundations of the wall of the new Jerusalem which identifies the theocratical structure of the kingdom of heaven within the boundaries of the elementary teaching of Christ then the foundation of the harlot is the democratic structure in the form of many waters representing the nations tribes and tongues if the throne of the bride of of Christ upon which they sit with Christ is the throne of God and the lamb then the throne of the harlot is the scarlet beast that is in the wilderness that is full of names of blasphemy with seven heads and ten horns it's interesting right this scarlet beast in the wilderness and wilderness is a symbol of sanctification he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns The scarlet beast within the body of man is reigning sin, which identifies the old person, the carrier of sin, and the deceptive program of the fallen cherubim. And out of the body, the scarlet beast in the category is the category of men that attempt to use the principles of faith in order to possess perishable wealth, when the principles of faith are given for possessing imperishable wealth. The symbol of the wilderness where John saw the woman sitting upon the scarlet beast is a counterfeit of sanctification as today's encounters, the three days, that have been introduced into the structure of the Protestant church by leaders that have a false charismatic mindset. At the same time, for the true bride, the bride of the Lamb, the symbol of the wilderness represents the true sanctification giving God the proper grounds to fulfill the promise that belongs to the door of our hope, which is to meet the Lord in heaven. They have, in these encounters, they begin to uh, evangelize very, very actively. The bride, she begins to accept the promise that belongs to the door of our hope in the wilderness. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, it's talking about the bride of the Lamb, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of, of her youth and as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. Hosea 2, 14 through 15. Everything happens by sanctification. We can't receive the promise of the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ if we're not sanctified in the wilderness. The wilderness is exiting from all these other interpretations. The promise consists of adopting our body by the redemption of Christ where our body is transformed from a carnal body into a heavenly body. In order to see the scarlet beast reigning sin in the body of a man, it is sufficient to bring forth a place of scripture because theologians say that the scarlet beast is a union of Repub uh, republics. 
and this includes socialists and others. And so even today, uh, uh, their churches, they uh, and so they have this idea of uh, the union of uh, of these things that they're talking about in the democratic parties. They have these things already, and I'm not going to. Uh, they call people a socialist, but they're actually communists because they have it within them, the interpretations that they have, the understandings they have, they're socialists, uh, as then, then, then they're uh, communists. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as a white as they shall be as white as snow. Your sins are like scarlet, scarlet as the scarlet beast. We see reigning sin within the body with the scarlet and reigning sin out of the body of man. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your <clears throat> How had they become like scarlet? Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water, you princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. <clears throat> Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Isaiah 1, 16 through 23. When Apostle John saw the image of the harlot and the dog out of out of man, the great harlot that is in the midst of the nation of God, he marveled with great amazement. <clears throat> I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition, is not and will ascend, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven. There's not eight, there's seven, but this is the one out of the seven that was and then reappeared, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority from one for one hour as kings with the beast. It's very interesting. With the beast, they receive authority for one hour. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and who... And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. 
Then he said to me, the waters which you saw were the harlots, where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17, 6 through 18. When will we be studying the name of God? the horn of my salvation, then this one is one of the names of God as uh, the ten uh, horns as we see here, the horn of salvation. The scarlet beast that carries the great harlot has seven heads and ten horns. It is the fifth king from the seven kings that led the crucifixion, the crucifixion of Christ. The cycle of the world before the world will be destroyed and a new heaven and new earth will be formed, the whole world is given for cycle upon the prince for the prince of, of, of darkness. He goes away and then another comes and why he leaves is because he at this time the church becomes stronger and they remove him from power. He goes to hell and then another comes in his place, another prince up until the fifth prince the demonic princes that lead the world there are seven of them and so these seven uh, heads that he saw and ten horns and so the fifth king from the seven kings led the crucifixion of Christ who received a fatal wound upon the Golgotha cross this prince that led the crucifixion of Christ and killed him but before the rapture of the bride of the lamb his fatal wound will be healed and he will again confront, come from hell and again confront, but this time not Christ, but the chosen by God remnant. Therefore, the seven heads of the beast is a fullness of wickedness that is contrary to the seven horns and seven eyes of the Lamb, representing the body of Christ, the fullness of perfection that is in accordance to the perfection of the Heavenly Father. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and out of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. <clears throat> the beast had seven heads and seven horns, but here we see the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth revelations 5 6 the ten horns symbolizing ten kings that have not yet received a kingdom and who will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast is a symbol of the holiness of god in his ten commandments identifying the essence of the law of moses that condemns the harlot and gives power to sin this authority will be used by the beast for one hour and so holiness condemns and so again this authority will be used by the beast for one hour in order to expose and condemn the harlot and the ten horns which you saw on the beast these will hate the harlot make her desolate and naked eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God <clears throat> for God has put into their heart to fulfill his purpose these ten kings to be of one mind because 
and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. <coughs> Revelation 17, 16-17. And so if she uh, sits on the beast, and we see these religious uh, leaders, they sit upon the political structure of the world, system of the world. But they will become tired of this, and they'll become tired of it because God controls the hearts of a king. And the law of God will reveal itself, and they will destroy this harlot. They will uh, push her away, and they will separate the church physically from the, from the government, and they will destroy her for this false church. The symbol of one hour is a symbolic span of time instructed by God to condemn the harlot. Just as the span of time instructed by God for the sacrifice of Christ himself as an offering to God was in the symbol of one hour. <clears throat> now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glor uh, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had, it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. John 12, 27 through 33, summing up the given subject, where we are called to bring in the, we are, we are called not to bring in the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog within our heart, which is the house of the Lord, we conclude, if we distance ourselves from the service where they legalize the sin of alcohol and the sin of self-willed service that comes from the desires of the flesh, which they state as the will of God and their calling, then we do not bring in the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord of God, which is our heart. These are the wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the black end of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollution of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turn it from turn away from holiness, 2 Peter 2.17 through 22. <clears throat> and so we are not to bring in the wages of a harlot or price of a dog into our house, into our temple. I think we understand, uh, we have understood these things. Our time is up and we are going to bend our knees and pray. May the Lord bless us and allow us to destroy the works of reigning sin, the harlot, harlot, uh, the scarlet beast within ourselves, and His work, so we could sit upon the throne together with Jesus and overcome sin in the flesh. Amen. Let us pray, and all those who desire to resist sin, 
that they still are not able to be free from that has shackled you to the floor, uh, these corrupt desires that are the will of reigning sin within your body, you can come to the Lord. You yourselves will not be able to overcome the sin or this desire, but God has power. When you come and confess your sins, you can humble yourself before God and acknowledge the fact that you can't do anything and that God, you need God's help. He will bind the sin in your body. You will feel that power to, that, you, that you need to resist the sin and overcome it. May the Lord give us mercy and allow us to humble ourselves because He's shown us His favor. Amen. I will be praying your prayer together with you and I ask you to deeply believe trust God that he is for you he's not against you that in this time he's not judging you he it's the opposite he wants to condemn the sin that is within your body reigning in your body not you but the sin he loves you and that is why <clears throat> his heart is supporting of your heart he wants you to be free from the power of the sin close your eyes this is your room lift your hands to God a sign that you're ready to receive from God what he desires to give you <clears throat> Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you I open up my heart I confess my sins that I hate that I suffer from that are a shame to me they are my weakness I ask you forgive me wash me cleanse me heal my wounds that are inflicted by sin I love you but I can't do anything give me your power forgive me and wash me so that I can be restored in you so that I can become and stand upon this sin allow me to bind these corrupt desires 
right now before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you. May they be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Blessed is our Lord in his great mercy. Again and again, he frees us from the slavery of sin. He cleanses us from sin. There's a big difference between forgiveness of sin and being cleansed of your sins. Because if God forgives our sins but does not wash us from them, we will not inherit the uh, salvation. Forgiveness of sins, the sin remains, is just forgiven. But when it is cleansed, that means that God has blotted it out of his memory. He has cast it behind himself and has distanced himself as the east is from the west. It blots out. He blots out your sins. The blood of lambs and goats, they forgive. They forgave a person of a sin, but they weren't eliminated. And once a year, they had to have the feast of cleansing. They needed to bring the two goats and do it so that the sins that were gathered in the tabernacle, because they all came to confess their sins, the blood of uh, lamb and goats was not able to cleanse them. Their sin remained, but the blood of Jesus Christ blotted out these sins and so when you receive forgiveness receive it with that idea that God has also blotted it out in his memory and so when you sin again and you're ashamed to come to God in prayer and tell the Lord again I've sinned but when you say these things God says daughter son where did you get the idea that you've sinned again I see that you've only sinned with this sin. I don't know about the other sins. They don't exist. That's how the Lord does this. And when we prayed right now, and forgive me, uh, as I forgive others. And so God blots out of his memory. And so try to not think about pain that has been uh, done against you or someone offended you by you've forgiven this person and forget it and you allow then uh, God to do his work with this person but he does this only if this is your close ones when you allow God uh, for give place for God's wrath 
then uh, their conscience will begin to judge them and they have a chance to be shown mercy. They come to you and say, forgive me, I didn't want to do this. But you already forgave. And you say, okay, I forgive. And that's where your forgiveness also needs to... Uh, you've become free of this in your mind Uh, it's difficult but you need to pray and say Lord if this will offense will continue to come to my mind and I keep remembering it I can't then build a good relationship with this person I'm constantly going to be afraid that this person will do something again something against me fear uh, that I've forgiven but I'm afraid to speak to them because they haven't changed but this is not our uh, concern as to whether they've changed or not ask the Lord say Lord I blot it out of my memory this uh, this offense has been done against me my husband my wife my parents my brothers my sisters this is who we're talking about so that the Lord can give them the opportunity to be forgiven and again uh, work uh, or on building a relationship with them and don't be afraid that this will happen again be wise and don't uh, try to inspire this person or provoke them to sin against you or offend you because some people do that also may God give us wisdom and, and mercy that he already has given me and you let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.